Federal retirement tends to stand like a three-legged stool. You've got your FERS annuity, the Thrift Savings Plan, and Social Security. But a fourth leg could make for an even sturdier retirement. Good old-fashioned savings bonds are another instrument federal employees can invest in for their personal savings. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman got more from retired federal manager and financial counselor Abe Grungold. He started with a little history here. There would be an employee from every agency who was the bond coordinator, and they would pass out the United States Savings Bonds pamphlets that you could obtain in the bank, along with a payroll allotment card. And you could select the amount of the bond that you wanted and how frequent you wanted to receive it. So you could buy a $50 bond or a $1,000 bond. And if you did the 50, you get, you know, 26 bonds, one every pay period. If you did the $1,000 bond, say a $100 bond, you wouldn't get it every 26 pay periods. You would get it once a month because you'd only be contributing $25 or however you wanted to do it. So this was an excellent program that the government offered for employees to do tax-deferred savings before there was a TSP. Then when the TSP was introduced, they continued the program. Unfortunately, technology has now ended that bond drive that they would have every year. And the Treasury wants everyone to have an online account, not to purchase them and to get a paper bond. We would receive them in the mail when you bought them. Or some people actually had them sent to the office. You know, it it ended a wonderful program because unfortunately what happened was the government put it on the responsibility of the employee and they weren't aware about it because the annual bond drive sort of educated employees and it gave them an opportunity to think about it. So I think that is somewhat lost now. You know, OPM does have that literature there that, you know, you can go in and search out U.S. savings bonds and it takes you to the area where it says you have to do it through the Treasury Direct. And again, it's tax deferred savings. It was available before there was a TSP. Now that there's a TSP, It's still an excellent investment in addition to your TSP, in addition to your FERS annuity, and it gives you that tax-deferred benefit where you can hold on to it for 30 years. Here I am, 65 years old. I now have a $10,000 savings bond that I purchased for $5,000, and it's worth $16,000, and I have to pay the taxes now when I cash it in, not you know, years ago when when I was trying to grow it. So it does provide an excellent tax-deferred investment, even today for employees. You know, if that is the case, and this can be a valuable tool for federal employees, can you explain more how that can combine with other aspects of retirement for federal employees? Today, federal employees have a three-legged stool for their retirement. They have their FERS annuity. They have their thrift savings plan, and they have social security. It's called the three-legged stool. 
But if you have personal savings, such as the United States savings bonds, that provides a fourth leg to the stool, a more secure retirement. Because let's say you don't receive that first annuity because you didn't put in enough years of federal service. So now you really only have three legs to your school. You have your TSP, you have your Social Security, and you have your savings bonds. It's just another important investment vehicle for you to plan for your retirement. You should always be thinking about saving for retirement. And certainly the government will give you the annuity. You will get the Social Security. If you invest properly and contribute, you'll have your thrift savings plan. And the savings bonds gives you an opportunity for an emergency investment during your life, during your career, that maybe something comes up like, you know, the rainy day fund. This is your rainy day investment. And they're good for 30 years. The E-bonds earn 2.1% now, and the I-bonds earn 6.89% presently. So you can save it for 30 years until they reach maturity and then cash them out when you're in retirement and you're in a lower tax bracket and maybe uh, the money will become very necessary for you to maybe pay for your grandchildren's college fund or maybe you want to go on a trip or buy a motorcycle, whatever you want to do in retirement, that money will come in handy. And I purchased them my entire federal career. And now that that I am retired, I have many that are coming to maturity and they're coming in at the right time for me to use them. Is there a right time to purchase a bond? You said that you've purchased them throughout your career. Is there you know, one time that might be better than another to, to start doing this? I think it's very important to start buying them early in your life because, you know, like everything, you get in the habit of doing it. You can start off small buying the $50 savings bond or the $100 savings bond and then work your way up. And then if you do it consistently, you will be amazed how much this account can grow over time. You know, I'm planning for my daughter's wedding for the the day she was born. I plan to repair my roof the first day I bought my home. I know these expenses may come down the road, and it's a great way to save. It's a great way to defer uh, paying taxes on your income. And it's really the the rainy day fund, the nest egg, and you really should get in the habit of doing it periodically. It will become second nature to you when you do that. And I would always buy a savings bond, usually at the end of the year, when I knew I had some extra money. Sometimes I purchased it with my tax refund. I would get a sizable tax refund, and I would take that tax refund and immediately use it to purchase a savings bond. And if you do that alone, that alone with your tax refund, if you're fortunate to get that tax refund, I think you will be amazed over 30 years how much you can save and how much it will build up. You touched a little bit on this earlier, but there are, of course, different types of bonds available. Can you tell me a little bit more about what are maybe some of the benefits of 
each different type of bond and yeah. how much money are we really talking about here that you could come out at the other end with? There are two major types of savings bonds, the EE bond, which presently earned 2.1%, and then there are the I bonds. Now, the the I bonds earn 6.89%. Now, these interest rates change every six months. The E bonds, you can purchase an unlimited amount of E bonds. The I bonds presently, you can only purchase $10,000 worth of I bonds a year. When you buy them and you hang on to them, I had a client and they basically, this is all they purchased. They didn't invest in the stock market. They didn't invest anywhere, but they purchased savings bonds. And they accumulated almost $700,000 in savings bonds just by purchasing $1,000 savings bonds. And then during their lifetime, those bonds actually matured. And $1,000 savings bonds can turn into ten dollars or $15,000 at maturity, depending on the interest rate over the life of that bond. So they took their matured savings bonds and bought bigger savings bonds over time. So it wasn't the $1,000 savings bonds. They started buying $10,000 savings bonds. When you reach old age and retirement, you have to think about long-term care, going to a nursing home. And this is a important savings vehicle for you to fund those years uh, if you need it. If there was one piece of advice or one key takeaway here that you'd want federal employees to know, what would that be? I want them to know that they have to think about saving. It's not something that people think about when they start their position, but you have to think about your retirement. You have to think about savings. And I'll give you a perfect example. Say you're a federal employee and you've been in 10 years now as a federal employee and you're subject to a furlough. Okay, I went through a furlough for 30 days, 35 days was the longest furlough. I believe it was in 2018, 2019. And I had emergency savings to carry me through that furlough. If you do not have an emergency savings account, how are you going to pay your rent, your food bill, all these necessary bills that come in during a furlough? The savings bond would be your savior to start cashing in savings bonds to pay your rent, to pay your food bill. It's not just for retirement. It's a emergency tax-deferred savings, and this is very important. Yes, federal employees have to save in their TSP. It's, it's vital. It's so important. Yes, you have to have money in your bank account to pay your daily bills. But what happens if there's an unforeseen expense? And the United States savings bonds can provide that safety net for employees. Young federal employees, mid-year federal employees, try to start saving. Abe Grungold, retired federal manager and financial counselor, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. 
David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. As I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama. And there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in, and she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. That, to me, is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, It had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, What I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters, who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were illiterate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I 
really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, We have institutions that want to define themselves uh, based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have, you mentioned Horace Mann, I don't know if if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sisulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness toward the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story, and it 
you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to to go as far as you have, and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well-served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way. That's sort of I, I the way that I kind of see all of that. You that's know? brilliant. <laughs> and um, being born in rural Southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can I can tell you that your your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.